Welcome to the Care Exchange, the Skills for Care podcast for managers and social care. I'm Pierre Rafter-Burton. And I'm Wendy Adams. So today on the podcast, we have Rosemary. Rosemary Perrone is she, uh, Rosemary has worked in health and social care for 58 years. Um, she's had a long career working in a variety of settings in social care, and she's also worked in HIV services and uh, in hospices. She started her career working uh, in sort of what was called home help back then uh, in the east end of London. With her husband, Rosemary um, was the owner of a care home for older people in Sussex for 24 years, as well as being the registered manager. She retired from her role as the registered manager and sold the care home in 2022. So looking forward to chatting to Rosemary and hearing about her long career as a registered manager. On with the show. So, welcome to the Care Exchange, Rosemary. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me, Pia. Oh, it's really great to have you have you here. We heard there in the introduction about your long career in care, um, and you know we want to start off by talking to you a little bit about a presentation that you delivered at a local event uh, where you talked about what you sort of kind of learned in your role as a leader. Um, so the presentation was called "It Doesn't Matter the Color of the Cat." So. Um, really interesting title so just wonder what 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 does that title mean and and what was the presentation about i went to a management center where they do incredible training and i had lunch with the director and we were talking and he does a lot of compassionate leadership and i was talking to him about compassion and he said to me about the color of the cat and i ask him for an ex- explanation rather like you up here and he said that big companies expect their staff to know the names of their partners staff's partners their children their worries and we came up with the idea that they do it for a very different reason they do it because it's good business and they want to keep their staff we do it because we care So the name, the colour of the cat came. In other words, it doesn't really matter why you do something so long as the outcome achieves its goal. And I've used that now, colour of the cat, in so many examples of everything. In other words, it doesn't matter sometimes why you do something so long as it achieves the outcome that you desire. But in our field of work, it does matter because... That's why we do the job that we do, because care should be embedded in everything that we do. Yeah. And um, what was that about compassionate leadership? What, what, how do you do that? So I, I know you say we, because we care, but what, 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 why do we do it and how do you do it? Well, we all do it for different reasons, Pierre, don't we? It yeah. may be to keep your staff. Um, and keep them working with you but hopefully it's because we genuinely care but I think if you're working in our profession we we should embed compassionate care in everything that we do and it doesn't matter if you're working with your service users your staff the staff's family we should actually put compassion at the center of everything because actually that's who we are and that's why we do our job. That's why we came into our profession. We came into our profession because we care. Hmm. And we're not just caring about a group of people. We're not just caring about our service users, but we're 
we're caring about our staff, we're caring about each other, we're caring about ourselves, because if we don't care about ourselves, then, then things go wrong very quickly. So I think I find it really hard to understand why people don't grasp what we're talking about. I find it really hard that after so many years of me working in care, and I was about 19 when I worked in the East End of London, and I worked with really hard, strong East End women. And I had to develop my own compassionate leadership skills to be able to achieve anything. And after about three or four years, we were, you know, I felt really welcome. I felt supported. I felt that we had achieved a lot. So what I don't understand, and that was, what, how many years ago now? 50 odd years ago why it's taken the rest of the world to catch up really because it's not rocket science what we do if you care about and you put your service users your staff and everybody at the center of what we do and we offer operate person-centered care to everybody then surely everybody is a winner i think that's really interesting because i think a lot of a lot of managers would say yes we do care for our staff um but actually how do they how do they show that do the staff feel like they're cared for um i wendy i think it's about knowing your staff when we, when we talk about person-centered care we talk about it to our residents in their life before they came to us what are their interests what are their hobbies what's their lifestyle who their partners are who their children are and if we do exactly the same for our service users, uh, for our staff. We get to know them as individuals and they get to know us. There shouldn't be a barrier between us and them. We're all working together. We're all working in the same team. We're all working for the same ends. We may be different roles within our setting, but we're all working to the same outcome. So actually, I don't think it's difficult to write in your diary when their birthday is. I don't think it's difficult to, to know when their children are having difficulties. I don't think it's difficult to know if your staff's husband is, is unwell. I don't think it's difficult because if you see your, your staff as a big family group, extended family, that is what you do for them. So knowing and remembering their birthday, knowing how long they've worked for you and recognizing if it's coming up to 10 years service is is really hard it's to me it's common sense and i i don't think everybody does use their common sense when it comes to this i think they think they do but i don't think they really do and it's a bit like the color of the cat it doesn't even matter why you do it although to me it does but obviously if the outcome is you have staff who want to come to work fully in a safe secure environment can even get their manager to write their letters for them if they're having difficulty paying their rent or to offer them um, some support because so often other staff have been through it themselves especially at the moment when life is hard I don't think it's really as I say rocket science and, and I do you know I do query why people make it so difficult really yeah, I think some of it is to do with uh, 
feel like some staff take advantage and I know I've definitely been in that situation where I've, I feel like I've really looked after someone and then I feel like they do something and you think that wasn't very nice <laughs> and, and I think if yeah, you think and I think I've had that too yeah. but I don't think it can allow you to change the way you you work because you're going to get one maybe two um, who will stab you in the back go out to trick you because people are human but I think in general if that does happen I found that the other staff rally around you even more well it's the same logic isn't it of saying i've had a um i've been in a personal relationship it's broken down therefore i'm not going to have another one because that yeah. person might absolutely else might treat me the same and that wouldn't yeah. be logical would it no. just because you've had one dodgy boyfriend doesn't mean to say that they're all going to be no dodgy. no and was there something that when you were a manager you put into almost like a process so you 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 checked with them and you know some of this this personal stuff you know when you employed them or was it just something that was almost built into the fabric of your culture was this just with something me Wendy, did? It, it sorry it was built into the fabric i i soon made it my business on to know who they are uh, and and where even where they live if there was any advice and support it became a culture that when staff felt um under pressure that they could come to a safe place where we could, they would feel safe and supported. And when they are leaving lots of, of unhappy or baggage behind them to walk through the front door or back door in our case and know that it's a safe environment where they can share their worries, forget their worries, be supported in their worries. And I would know instantly with my staff if something was worrying them just by their manner, by picking up little words that they'd said. So I don't think there's anything difficult. When your own kids come through the door, you know immediately. And, and let's face it, we see the staff probably more often than when we see some of our children, if you're an older manager. And yeah, you do know by their facial expressions, even by their appearance, if something is wrong with them. And I just don't think, um, I hate this expression, leave your worries at the door. Why would you do that? Why would anybody do that when you're coming to work in what we perceive is to be a caring environment? It just doesn't make sense to me. If one of the service users wasn't feeling their best or was obviously had something troubling them, we would, as managers, hopefully do our very best to try and uncover what was wrong. Why don't we do the same for our staff, really? Yeah. Mm. And I thought one of the things that was really interesting in, in your presentation you you said was that uh, because you got to know your staff so well, and you, if some of one of them were doing something out of character, you kind of, you know, um, rather than jump to conclusions, absolutely you sort of thought, well, what yeah. what is it that's happening? Because I think sometimes. You know, particularly if you're really stressed or, and I, you know, I'm sort of kind of reflecting back as my own time as manager, you know, you, you sort of told somebody, you know, lots and lots of times and they know what to do. And then suddenly they don't, don't do what you what you expect them to do. And because you're stressed, you think, oh, God, they never, you know, they're a bit lazy or whatever you're thinking. But actually stepping back and thinking, hang on a moment, is there something going on that means that suddenly 
they're not doing what they normally do. Suddenly they have a lot of sickness. Suddenly they're late. Suddenly they're not, you know, performing how you want them to do. I thought that was a really interesting point. Tell me a bit more about that. Well, again, I think it's really interesting, isn't it? Because are you going to jump down their neck? Or are you going to call them to one side and say, is everything okay? Now, there's two ways of looking at it, isn't there? But I would rather call them to one side and say, is everything okay? Because you've just snapped at, and she must make say, she's getting on my nerves or whatever. And then you can have a discussion around it. What is actually going on? I mean, are you just going to see the action or are you going to try and understand why they are behaving and their action has arisen in, the, arisen in the first place. And that is where compassion comes in, because anybody can have a bad day. Any of us can have a bad day. Any of us can be worried about our children and our tolerance level may be slightly muted. Does that mean that we're just going to add to their worries by having another go at them? Because I don't see that that is the answer. You change their job, maybe. You may change the resident if the resident is the one whose behavior is distressing um, there may be a really good reason it may remind them of their mum or their mum could have just died there could be a whole host of reasons why they're acting out of character I think what's interesting about what you're saying is that what you're talking about is staff well-being mm-hmm. and I think particularly since the pandemic the notion of staff well-being is something that everybody's talking about there's a huge amount of money and resources there to support staff well-being but what you're describing is long before this was was something that there was apps on phones for and and resources available you were supporting staff well-being how did you then provide that support to people you know nowadays um, a manager could you know offer all sorts of online resources and whatever to help people if you did discover that they were struggling but i'm guessing for some for some of your staff that wasn't an option how did you support them then when i worked in the east end when i was 19 and it was uh, pretty um, harrowing, I would say, something I'd never expected. The East End Home Helps were so um, stalwart, really. And I think they had, you had to win staff's trust over. I think you had to have their trust to be able to support them. And I think that has really carried me on. I think understanding is is where I come from understanding people understanding their behavior understanding we don't need a textbook Wendy Mm. to be able to um, understand when things aren't going right do we if somebody's got into trouble with with money we don't need a textbook to be able to understand where that person is from what's going on in their life. We need to be able to sit down and work out how they can get out of that situation. If somebody's son or daughter is, you know, not well, we need to be able to look up and find some advice and support for dealing with that illness. These are basic instincts to me. These aren't textbooks, well-being, online, 
stuff, these stuff, that's a good word. These are basic human understanding of each other to be able to support people when they're in trouble. You do that with your friend, you do that with your children, you do that with your family. And that's what I think we do. I know from my own experience, sometimes when you when you have gone out of your way to to support in some in some way, they don't people don't forget, do they? So yeah. when and, and I think it, you know, sometimes you you know I'm not saying that you're, you're you know it goes back to you are it doesn't matter the quality of why you're doing it I'm not saying that you would do it just because you think well a laser state they will do me a favor but it does work like that doesn't it so it, it people, does. Beca people, people become really really they feel that they have a connection to you so they're more likely um to 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 in the future whatever it is you're needing to to go that extra step because you know you helped me when I was in a in a really difficult place and they I don't, don't forget, forget that no you don't yeah, they don't forget and if you want a, a rotor covered at short notice if um you know you're you're well if anything going on in the home they will go the extra mile if we're talking about um garden parties or cake making or whatever just little things to because they feel included they feel part of the family they feel a safe environment they can be who they want to be in that care home with or any service provision and know that when they come to work they're going to be respected they're going to be appreciated they're going to be treated and valued for the skills that they bring to the tape to to the table so yeah they will always go the extra mile for you yeah, taking somebody to the hospital uh short notice maybe and it's not their shift you can phone them up because they know that if they're in difficulty they will all they can come to them should be able to come to their manager who yeah. should have sufficient width in you know and time for them to be able to help them when they need it and and isn't that what families do for each other you hear that a lot don't you people say oh well this is one big family but actually by being maybe a bit more strategic about it I'm not saying you should you know you're you're something sort of but actually that is what family will do and that's what mm. you know we help each other mm. but I also yeah. think it's one of the unique selling points of social care yeah. you know and, and something yeah. that I don't think we we make enough of you know we talk a lot about we struggle to recruit people to social care because we lose them to retail we lose them to hospitality but actually they they wouldn't in lots of cases experience that same compassion from managers in retail or hospitality mm -hmm. that you would like to think that we we would be really good at doing in social care and i think you know that aspect of come and be part of our work family is something that maybe we don't big up enough when we're looking to recruit staff yeah, it's not yeah. just a job you're signing up to be part of our service family yeah. absolutely and that is why whenever i do did have a vacancy i always like to know the person who was coming to be recommended if possible by somebody that would probably have the same values and ideas of, of care but i think it's more it is all of what you've said Wendy and more I think it's about working maybe flexibly um, 
to to fit around their childcare needs. It's about um, working with their, supporting their, even their families, you know, offering advice. To, it, it's, a, it's a family, but it's also an extended family. So I think it encompasses every aspect. And yes, we don't do enough selling that side of our care sector. We don't do enough about what what the rewards and recognition and I and I like the idea it's a great vacation great location because then I think um, we're selling to somebody who wants a vacation but we're also saying come and work with us because we we will provide you with that support care and nurturing and training and and holding out our hand when things are going wrong I like that. Vacation and location. I love that. <laughs> you could imagine an advert, couldn't you? Vacation, location, vacation. I'll get mine first. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about learning from mistakes. Because when you have such a safe environment, you talked a lot about people feeling like they're coming into to work and, and feeling as, they feel safe, they feel supported. When they then make a mistake, or, or you as a manager make mistake. How do you create a culture that, that supports people who make mistakes? We all make mistakes, Pierre, and managers make mistakes and leaders make mistakes. And I think it's actually saying we're all human and errors do happen. I certainly wouldn't chastise somebody for making a mistake. I think we learn from it. If, if there were mistakes, they get covered up if you don't feel that you're in a safe secure environment and you've made a mistake a you won't own up to it which could be disastrous if it's a meds error or b you feel that you're going to be chastised and that isn't the way i would work i would want to learn by our mistakes use it as a learning uh, experience why is there a mistake were they tired did we not have enough staff on duty Am I asking them to do something outside their comfort zone? Is there a training issue around? So again, it's like looking if somebody comes in in a you know very distressed or even had too much drink the night before, looking at the reasons why. Why did that mistake happen? And and acknowledging that we can all make mistakes. Do you think that's difficult for managers to do sometimes to acknowledge that they've made a mistake to their staff teams? I think if you're working as a team, Wendy, and the, the word is team, why wouldn't managers make a mistake just the same as somebody else? If I if I made a mistake when I was managing, I would say, I I hold my hands up, I did it, I forgot to do this, or I forgot to cover the road to hopefully not the rotor, but you know what I mean? Because we're human, aren't we? Yeah. I think if it were to happen lots of times and it was putting service users in danger, but I think initially I'd be looking at the reasons why it happened. And, and as I say, did we have enough staff on duty at the time? Was there a training issue? Was it, and I think it would depend on what the mistake was. Yeah, and how often it's happened, obviously. Yeah, indeed. I think if the same yeah. mistake is happening again and again and again, you might say, well, yeah, you it's would look get at to it. a point where you might yeah. have to do something about this yeah. more formally, yeah. but initially you would kind of say, yeah. yeah absolutely. Is, Just know. like any other yeah. situation that you're dealing with, really. 
Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it's, I remember one particular uh, occasion where I had a member of staff who'd made a medication error, but actually, you know, and, and, and I think I was sort of kind of, there was a manager between, between me and the person um when we when I sort of did the investigation and the person that made a mistake was really really worried about losing her job or losing her role she was fairly new sort of kind of promoted into a new role and when we when I sort of did the investigation I realized it was partly was because we didn't have a we didn't have a a a process it was a new a new um new medication that had to be administered in a particular way and we actually didn't have a process so actually it, it was you know you know yes she'd made an error but actually it helped us because we were able to put the process in and therefore avoid anybody else making that mistake um you know and and I think she was so I remember sitting with her and had been really really upset that she'd made a mistake um and me saying really don't you know worry about the fact that you made a mistake but but I'm actually really pleased it. because because I can see we we we're going to make an improvement as a result you know so um, and period if people live in a culture of fear they're not even going to tell you they've made a mistake no exactly which is a hundred times worse yeah and I think you know the point that you're making peer about the member of staff was really upset about it I think if we've recruited the right people People don't make mistakes on purpose. It is a no, mistake. No. Um, so, you know, therefore it is a, a learning experience. Um, you know, the, there's a difference between doing something wrong on purpose, which isn't a mistake. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and we go back to the fact about managers not um, owning up, if you like, to their own mistakes. If, if, if the manager is just seen as a, a, a team member, but a different role, then there's a sense of honesty and uh, and support if we do make a mistake because I think if you're if you've got an environment of of safety and and um, inclusion then staff will actually respect it if the manager says yes I made a mistake because they'll know that they've made a mistake and if you try and hoodwink them they'll t- you won't get their trust will you no exactly exactly and I think sometimes you kind of you know even if nobody knew that you made a mistake you know I think sometimes saying just because I'm a manager doesn't mean I know everything exactly. I do everything perfectly I, there's sometimes mm. that I don't know something and I remember people coming to me and saying this has happened and what should I do and I'm like well I don't know what do you suggest you know just just because I have a manager mm. in my title doesn't mean that I know every single thing and there was things that they knew <laughs> much more about than I did um absolutely so we talked a little bit about, um, you know, the sort of kind of presentation, some of the other things related to that. But you, we, I mentioned introduction there. You kind of long, you own your care home. You were registered manager for 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 many, you know, twenty odd years, twenty four years. Mm-hmm. Knowing what you know now, are there anything you would have done differently as a registered manager? Now that's a difficult question, isn't it? <laughs> Um, and I don't really know. I mean, I think I run, hopefully run a really good care home. Um, I think I was able to bring, because having worked 30 years in health and social care before I bought my own care home, I think I had brought a lot of, of skills to the table. So I think I feel desperately sorry for younger registered managers who haven't had that experience and taking over 
running of care homes and that's why we are looking at CPD in our area up here for registered managers so that we can try and upskill them a bit more in in the new wave of role of registered managers because it certainly changed significantly. I think training is, is a major issue and um, I would like to think that we can really somehow crack the training worry um, for, for staff because the new demands that are being asked of our care staff insofar as um, we're, we're moving into a very different world with high dependency service users, which is now meaning that our staff have to be upskilled, which I think is, is a major headache for a lot of care providers. Would I have done anything differently? I don't think so. I was very happy running my care home. I was enjoyed the the support and, and um, love it gave me really. I suppose that's what I miss now, I haven't got it. I miss the social interaction. I miss being part of that extended family. I miss um, that feeling of sense of purpose when um, you go in there and being part of a team. So yeah, I do miss that. One of the, you talked about CPD and, and that, and the importance of that for particularly new managers. When I speak to new managers, um, probably one of the things that they struggle with most is around managing time and how much they've got to do and, and they feel under that huge pressure. One of the things that we always have in our podcast is our, our time for care slot. <laughs> so if you had a time-saving tip that you could share with managers, um, who are thinking, how on earth can I get all of this done in the time that I've got? What would your time-saving tip be? There must be some from all those years of experience, Rosemary. Well, I think being organised and being organised in your emails and your paperwork and being tidy, really, because I think it makes you feel in control and you save hours looking for things. So I think being organised and tidy. And my second one would be delegate. Delegate to your staff, um, have, have champions in things like medication, wound care, um, diabetes, moving and positioning, because not only does that give your, means that your workload is less, it also means that your staff are feeling empowered and it makes them feel more, included in the team and own some of the situations and, and a sense of career development really. So um, when I say delegate, I mean delegate, let them, let them do what it says on the box. If they're gonna be the champion, let them be the champion. And so that you can free up some more of your time to do, the, to do other things. But I do feel being organized and, um, and, and that's just emails and paperwork, just getting rid of things that you don't want and you'll feel in control and have more time. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think I could be done with that cleansing in my own life as well as yeah. my work life. <laughs> I, but I do think it, it declutters your own brain, doesn't it? Because there's nothing worse than thinking, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, and I've got to do the other. If it's organised and in place that you can access it when you do have time, you, you haven't got that sense of, 
chaos and I think you don't feel that you're permanently firefighting you feel that you're in control and I think that's really really important because I think if staff see you um being in control then I feel, think that they feel safe too and thinking about that delegation is there sort of some tricks you learned about how to I don't know sometimes staff seeing see delegation as you know hopefully see it as, as a as a positive thing but sometimes think oh you know why should I have to do this you need to pay me more for you know doing that you know is there some tricks to get people on board with delegation I, I think it's where you see that they have got some skills so it could be somebody who who has diabetes may want to be the diabetes champion it it may be somebody who you've seen who works a full-time nine-to-five who takes on some responsibility for wound care so I think it you try and find the person who you feel would be but it may be somebody that you know had worked in a GP or a dental surgery may want to do oral care I so I think you try and find the champion that best fits the role and, you do and, and they enjoy that yeah. they enjoy the responsibility you'll send them on specific training courses advanced training courses so they see it as a career development So a final question, um, and again, this is one we ask all of our podcast guests. Imagine we're in the lift on the 10th floor and we're going down with a group of registered managers. And before everyone gets out, you want to tell them what is your most important top tip? Now, Wendy, does this, does this stop at every floor or is it 10 to ground in in 30 seconds <laughs> yeah it's it's not a massive drop but it, it, it's, it's okay um I think get to know your staff because they are your biggest asset and let them know that you're there for them and let them know you I hate this barrier let them know you let them know and let them know that you care know the names of the people that matter to them and listen to their troubles and help and support them through difficult times and in return they will repay you tenfold and want to stay with you the compassion that you show them will be reflected in how they support you their colleagues and more importantly the service users but i would say uh, remember to show compassion to yourself and also compassion isn't a sign of weakness you can be compassionate and strong yeah. and being so you will grow strength from managing a good care home so i think people confuse compassion with being soft yeah absolutely and i think that's a really good summary of of everything you've shared with us today which has just been so insightful and i think um it's so interesting to to hear some of the your reflection because i think sometimes when you're in the middle of it all it's quite difficult to sort of kind of think oh this is the things that actually i did but you know you obviously had a little bit of time away from your care home and i can he really hear you really reflected on 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 that now and missing bits of it mm -hmm. oh sure i that, do i'm sure there's I some miss, bits you're not missing <laughs> there are loads of things i'm not missing like three o'clock in the morning when somebody's had a fall or something yeah. but that's the other thing i think as a manager if you're if you empower your staff um they will 
come to your aid and maybe be on call for you when you're there. There's so many paybacks. That's where the color of the cat comes in here. Even if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, and we're not, but if you are doing it for the wrong reasons, the outcome is the same. Your staff will support you and, and go the extra mile for you. It doesn't matter the colour of the cat, as long as it catches the mouse. Is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's brilliant. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Rosie. It's been absolutely amazing to talk to you. Um, and, and thank, thank you. you. Thank you for your time for the care exchange. Bye for now. Bye. 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 Wow, Wendy, that was a really interesting and just thought-provoking chat with Rosemary wasn't it it was fantastic she had so much to say I know I know and I suppose when you've had a long career like that you and you then step away from it and you start reflecting on it you, you she must just know so much I wanted to sort of pick everything out of her brain really yeah absolutely yeah I thought it was really interesting so obviously the reason why we started to talk to her was because she'd done this presentation at a local event about compassionate leadership and I just thought it linked so amazingly with the conversation we had with Michael West back in the first episode of this series where he was talking about um he was sort of more talking from a theory basis I suppose she's she's been doing it for real hasn't she that was just a really interesting to see so many of the things that he talked about you know he talked about oh this is not a um you know soft cushion candle approach you know you, you can actually be quite tough and she talked about that he talked about really listening and really asking that active listening and she she kind of said that without saying the word active listening or listening with compassion I think is what what Michael was saying you know so all those things that he talked about she talked about how she's been doing that for years without knowing that's what it was called you know it was just really I just thought it was absolutely fascinating um and I I thought the other thing that she talked about was about that quite forgiving culture where you can make mistakes you know let's just look at why why those mistakes have happened you know that you know if you're behaving out of character that there's often a reason why just like there would be for somebody else you're supporting you know that that you know that compassion to to really listen to people and and work out what why is it they've they've done whatever they they've done and that really reminded me of the skills for care resource the people performance management toolkit because there's a whole section in there that really helps managers and leaders start thinking about not just this is the person's behavior and how do we address that but actually why might that person be behaving in the way that they they are and that was really something that i think um rosemary talked quite a bit about when we were when we were chatting to her and it, yeah. it did remind me of that that resource yeah. but it's i was also yeah it's a great resource and it, i love the the sections and you got really practical advice about you know you've got this situation i don't really know what to do with it you know somebody keep being late or somebody doing you know not performing what what do i do particularly if you're a new manager you know that that resource is really useful i think yeah absolutely but I, again I, I think i was really interested in what rosemary was saying about culture and about the yeah. importance of that workplace culture and she she described a few times didn't she about 
being the team being like a family um and and that really makes you think about culture doesn't it because like any family teams don't always get on you've got a variety of personalities in a family um and and that made me think about the the concept of culture but also the skills for care and resources around culture because we've got the introduction to workplace culture toolkit um and a range of of activity sheets that go with that where people can start thinking about what is their culture yeah Yeah. and how can we make changes and improve things Mm. yeah it's interesting when you talk to anybody from CQC, they always say as soon as they walk into a service, they can feel that if it's a good culture or, or not so good. So, yeah, definitely worth having a look at that. I thought the other thing when we sort of kind of asked a bit more about being a registered manager that she talked about um, how she really felt for new registered managers and how that CPD is maybe not at the forefront of 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 other individual services or organizations that sometimes they kind of almost forget the the fact that you need to make sure you keep training your registered manager they are you know like any other role they do need continual professional improvement they do need that training yeah. um one of those uh, we have got an, a number of of different types of leadership training and suggestions and we've also got a new leadership guide on what what training and what development we feel that leaders need but particularly to highlight is um, some modules called CPD modules and they're actually delivered by our endorsed training providers Uh, they're one day courses so they're just one day but they're delivered by the endorsed training providers Um, we've got there's there's three available and and they're all perfectly linked into everything that Rosemary talked about so there's understanding performance management there is understanding self-management skills and there's understanding workplace culture so all those things Rosemary talked about all all those things so a whole day of just upskilling yourself in in those areas and there's also work um, you can claim workforce development funding for for that as well so uh, it's 120 25 pounds you can claim per day and like I say your endorsed local endorsed provider would would do that so I think that's all for this episode um thank you very much for for listening and for joining us and uh, you can access the resources and we talked about quite a few resources today so you can access them uh, either on the care exchange webpage on the skills for care website or on the show notes on the um a podcast platform wherever you got your platform, your podcast from today um, if you have enjoyed today's episode please go and tell another manager if you're part of a whatsapp group or you're on social media or other um, managers in social care do share it and say god i found this really useful have a listen so we really want to to share the good news um yeah thanks for your time today thank you bye thank you bye